While they're leaving, if you have a Bible, if you would turn with me to Galatians 3. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 14 today, continuing our study of Galatians. If you need a Bible, there's one in the pew there. Uh, it's towards the back of the book of Galatians, right after uh, you have Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And while you're turning there, uh, I'll remind just last week we looked at Galatians 3, 1 through 9, and we talked about the temptation to live on autopilot. That was the word, autopilot. To just go through the motions. Paul is declaring, and he says in verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That is the great temptation for those of us who are following Jesus. To just go through the motions, to, to be rote, to be routine, to do things because we've always done them that way, giving no real uh, thought to the significance or why we do them, rather than living by faith in the Spirit of God. Rather than living by faith in all things. And we looked at Hebrews 11. We looked all throughout. And we saw that everything they did was by faith. Specifically Abraham, as Paul talks about here in our text. And everything, everything that they did by faith was rooted in the gospel. It was rooted in, in who they were in the gospel. We saw that it says uh, Abraham saying was preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. He saw it from afar. And, and, he, and he responded in faith. He responded to the gospel in faith. Rooted in what, what Christ has done for us, dying in our place. The, the fact that salvation is Christ plus nothing. Certainly we believe, certainly, certainly we must have faith in that, but the salvation was, was purchased by Christ's work. We don't, we don't complete it. We don't add to it. It's Christ plus nothing. And the temptation for all of us we saw last week and will continue this week is to rely on the flesh and not the spirit. To just go through the motions. To just do what we've always done. To, to take your eyes off the gospel. To, to see the gospel as something that you get saved by but not as something that you live by every moment of every day. The focus of everything we do, the reason, the motivation, the fuel behind everything we do always has and always will and always must be the gospel. And that motivation fuels us. The Spirit in us lives through us, Paul says. And the great temptation is that we would think that we are justified by the Spirit. We're justified through faith, but not sanctified. That we don't grow by that same Spirit. That we don't continue to grow by relying on that same Spirit that lives in us. And that's what Paul is getting at here. Not only justification by faith, but, but sanctification by, by faith. And, and today, in our, in our text, in verses 10 through 14, Paul builds on what he just said in verses 1 through 9, demonstrating again... Again, what Christ accomplished for us in His death, burial, and resurrection. Paul, is, is real, Paul realizes and he's warning the Galatians and he's warning us. There is a constant, there is a constant pull. 
there's a constant pull for each of us to glory in self. To, to live according to self. To be pulled in, into the direction of, of flesh, of worldly wisdom. To be pulled in the thought that, that I do something. To either save myself, to make myself worthy of being saved. There, there's a constant pull to, to glory in self, to, to do the things in the flesh versus the Spirit. I, we, we looked at it last week briefly, but Paul says in Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit and, not, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. It is, there is a battle waging in all of us, flesh versus Spirit. And, and what we're going to see today and what Paul dives into, again, all of this is in the context of Christ alone. Christ plus nothing in sal- is salvation. But, but what we will see today is that our lives as believers are not always marked simply by what we do, but why we do what we do. It's not simply what you do, it's why you do what you do. The, the why in many regards, often matters more than the what. Why? Why are you doing what you're doing? And that is what I want us to, to see today. That, that is what I want us to see in Galatians today. And, and ask ourselves the question, why are you doing what you're doing? To whose glory are you doing what you're doing? Put it another way, last week our word was, was autopilot. Today, if, if I was to sum it up with one word, I would say this. Where is your identity found? If I asked you, hey, who, who is David? How would you respond? If I said, hey, tell me about Jeff Knight. How would you respond? Hey, Glenda, tell me about Glenda. How would you respond? I, I thought about it. Even as we dedicate this building today, if, in a sense, even as we open up this, this building and, and, and by God's grace, Wednesday and the, the following Sunday begin using that building. God used us to do that. He did that through us. You, many of you gave sacrificially to see it happen. The, the fact that, that this thing has been accomplished so quickly is, is, a, is all to the praise of God. But, but who gets the credit? When we go over there to that building and we start using it, did God do that or did we do that, ultimately? Who gets the credit? To whose glory, even in our giving, even in our support of that, to whose glory were we doing that? To God's glory? To our glory? that, that, That we could build our spiritual resume? Or we were simply responding to the grace of God? And that, that is what Galatians, Paul here in Galatians is getting at. Christ plus nothing merits God's approval and salvation. And today we'll see that our actions, our good actions can become a curse if we do them for the wrong reasons. If we approach it for the wrong reasons. If, if we think by doing them that God is indebted to us, that, that He owes us. That, that we can sort of put another notch on our spiritual resume and show people how great we are. If we're doing what we're doing for that reason, those things can become a curse. If we're doing them to merit favor with God, they can become a curse. 
The, the reality is, remember, Galatians was not written to atheists. Galatians wasn't written to those outside the church who are dealing with these issues. It is written to professing Christians who are in danger of trying to serve and glorify God in a way that diminishes, in a way that takes away from grace, takes away from God's glory. In a way of, of glorifying self, of trusting self, of even cultivating pride. And the temptation for every single one of us believers is to, to live this Christian life in the flesh, in the power of the flesh, to, to glory in self rather than spirit-filled, or, or to, be, to be okay with just doing what we've always done. That temptation lies in all of us as believers. And we know it deep down. And, and everything that we read in Galatians is not only speaking to them, but to us. And, and that's why it can be convicting and powerful. But the book of Galatians is beautiful in this. It breaks us free from self-glory. It breaks us free from relying on self. And instead, it, it, it pushes us, calls us, beckons us to trust in Christ alone. To trust in who we have been declared to be in Christ alone. That our spiritual resume would be Jesus Christ and His death and His burial and His resurrection alone. Everything that we do is fueled by that. It's because of that. Everything we do is to God's glory, not our own. Look, look with me at verse 10. Start reading in verse 10. We looked at 1 through 9 last week. Verse 10, Paul writes, For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse... For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What, what I want us to walk away from here today with this, the main point, you see it on your hand, I, I'm trying to each week reduce these down to minimums in the sense that we will be very clear on what we're to walk away with, what God is teaching us. And the main point is this, what, what ushers, curses, or blessing into our lives is not so much what we do, but the why that lies behind what we do. Why do we do what we do? If, if I was to sum, sum our eyes, again, this sermon, it would be this. Where is your identity found? Is it in what you do or is it what Christ has done for you and in you? Your identity. Is it in works of the law or is it in faith? Where is it found? Who, who are you? H how would you define who you are? Who gets the glory for who you are? And I want to address this, I want to address this as Paul does, really by bringing out just two points from this text. Two points. You see there on your handout, the first one is in verses 10 through 12, and it's this. Looking anywhere but to Christ for justification and our identity brings about a curse. 
If we're looking to our, to our own selves, if we're looking to our own abilities, if we're looking to our own actions and our own spiritual resume, if you will, there's a curse. And the main issue, again, remember, the main issue for Paul is this. How are the Gentiles, how are they brought in, ushered in to the family of God, to the family of Abraham? How are Gentiles, how are non-Jews saved? How are they brought into God's family? And we've seen the issue is either works or, or faith. The issue for Paul is this. Do Gentiles, do non-Jewish people, do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to go to the law to be saved? Or is it by faith? That's the issue we've seen. And the issue Paul is battling with is the, the people were, these Judaizers were coming in and they were, they were saying, no, 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 these Gentiles, they've got to basically become Jews in order to be saved. Christ plus something else. And Paul is saying, no, that's not right. There, see, the, their identity was in the law. Their identity was in their ability, supposed ability to keep the law, to impress God through the law. Paul is saying, no, our identity is in Christ. We're ushered into the family by, by faith in Christ. And again, the issue is Christ plus something. And, and that's still alive today. Certainly, it's in different forms, but, but that's still alive today. In Paul's day, again, it was circumcision. It was not eating certain foods. Today, it's clothing and movies and drink and, and certain foods. And in every one of us, there's a tendency to be drawn back into a works mentality. To think, to think God, God owes us something because of what we've done. That, that our identity, the, the temptation is for our identity to be found in what we do and all these other things versus in the gospel. And Paul is warning us here. He's warning us, for as many as the works of the law are under a curse. He says, why, why is that? Because you better be perfect. That, that's what he's going to get to. And we, Paul is saying, I'm warning you. There is a constant danger to look to someone or something other than Christ for our assurance and our blessing. For the assurance that we're saved, for, for the, the work of salvation, where do we turn? Do we turn to Christ alone or do we kind of pull out our own spiritual resume? And, and Satan's method of attack, listen, has always been to deceive us into thinking that if we just do or don't do certain things, if we talk a certain way or not a certain way, that if we come to church, pray, if we do all these externals, that that's a pathway to God and to His blessings. To deceive us into thinking that we need to add to Christ's work in order to be saved. Certainly those things come, we've talked about that, but not in order to save. And if we're honest, if we're honest, every single one of us could come up with a spiritual resume of sorts that we cling to, that we cling to for our justification and for our identity if we're not careful. Even Again, even in this building that we're, that we're dedicating today. I think about Paul in Philippians 3. He says he gives his, his resume of, of things that he had done in the flesh, things that he, he thought were getting him to God. You know what he, when he found Christ, when, when Christ found him really on that road to Damascus? Listen to now, he says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul said, here's the point, that I may know him, know Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain a resurrection from the dead. Paul says, everything that I thought brought me to God, I counted as rubbish. I'm going to cling to one thing. I'm going to cling to Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. That's what I'm going to cling to. My spiritual resume is real short. It's Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Certainly we do things, but listen, it's the Spirit living in me that comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and my faith through that that's doing those things. It's the Spirit in us. That's what Paul's getting at. Every, you know, over and over and over, that's why we're seeing this in Galatians because it is hard for us, there's a tendency for us to wander away from the gospel in a sense that we start putting notches on our own spiritual belt. That we start trusting in the flesh. That, that we, just things that, that creep into, you know, why God is pleased with us. The challenge for all of us is, is we want instant godliness. We want it instantly. And spiritual maturity takes time. And we don't want to give you time. We want instant. It takes, it takes looking at things over and over and over to get them in our minds. Over and over you see, Paul said, it's no trouble to remind you of these things. Peter said, it's no trouble to remind you of these things. Why? Until Christ is formed in you, I'm going to keep reminding you. And every single one of us, every single one of us has been there where, where we're in a situation and we sort of run through our spiritual resume just so God knows who he's dealing with. And I will, I will confess to you, I, I thought about this. Uh, um, I've gone uh, turkey hunting about four or five times. Karen may say it's eight, but it's really about four or five this, this season. And this is how many times I've shot the gun. Okay? And you can sit there in those woods, and you can get real frustrated. And your mind can start to wonder. And my, your flesh starts to come up. I, hey, I, I, the last two seasons, I've shot these things. Don't, don't you know who I am? Like, Lord, you're, you're sovereign over these turkeys. Can you just bring one across my path? You know, you, your flesh starts. And then you start, you know, you start thinking, but, but somewhat you can easily start thinking, I deserve to shoot a turkey. Is that too much to ask? I deserve it. But in this spiritual resume starts, listen to me. God convicted me. I remember my mind was wondering, and I'm sitting there, and obviously there's two things you need to be good at to shoot a turkey, still and quiet, and I excel at neither. So you can imagine after about 15 minutes, I'm looking at the guy I'm with, I'm like, is this it? Like, you just want to go walking around and find one or something? Let's go. And clearly that's not good. But in my mind, I'm sitting there quiet, can't talk, can't move. Have been there for hours and shot nothing. Haven't seen anything. And, and all of a sudden, if I'm not careful, I deserve to shoot a turkey. And, and listen, 
Why? Because I'm tempted, we're all tempted to try to think we're going to impress God with a spiritual resume. That I can twist God's arm for His, that I can twist His allegiance, that I can get all this. Why? Because of what I do. Listen, God loves me because my faith is in what His Son did. My salvation is in what Jesus did. And to try to, Paul is saying, to try to come to God, to try to get to God through law-keeping, through obedience, to try to earn God's favor, what you think is a blessing is a curse. Why? Because you won't do it perfectly. And God demands perfection. And if we're going to come to God, we'll see it in a moment, we better come perfect. That's why Jesus Christ had to die. I mean, do we really, think about it, do we really believe that we can stand before God and give a defense of why we should be righteous on our own account in His sight? Like, like I'm going to tell Him why He should have saved me or why He was, well, I got seven out of the ten commandments right, Lord, you should save me. I mean, is that the kind of, is that, is that the level of greatness He is, the seven out of ten? And seven out of ten would even be a, a stretch. Because in reality, I've gotten zero out of ten right perfectly perfectly i mean are, are we gonna are we gonna stand before him and say you know look what i did when i was five look 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 what all i've done and, and and god's gonna do i mean do you think we're gonna stand before god and give a defense and say you know what i threw some money in an offering plate or or i should be declared righteous in your sight because of that you know i came most of the sundays to church i should be declared righteous in your sight because of that i mean it's the challenge for all of us is to think that God is impressed by that. That God is merited, that, that His favor is merited because of that. that. That we're somehow better than other believers because our attendance is 70% and theirs is 58. That, that we've been made part of God's family because of that. Because it's something we brought to the table. And what Paul shows here for all of us is that justification by faith and by the law are incompatible. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. You can't have blessing and curse at the same time. It's one or the other. And here's why. We don't get to pick and choose what we obey and what we don't obey. We don't get to choose how often we obey or how often we don't obey. We don't get to choose where the measuring line is. God demands perfection. That's righteousness. Only righteous people get into heaven. That's why he sent his son. And, and the dividing line, Paul says, the dividing line between the curse and the blessing is between those who have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in them, and those who are relying on the flesh to please God. All of this goes back, is it really an application of Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The life Paul lived was Christ living in him. He, the old Paul dead. New Paul alive. The Spirit living in him. One group, again, again, back to flesh. It, it's one group says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The other group says, well, I'm going to try to have it both ways. One group glories only in the cross. The other group glories in self and diminishes the cross. That's what we saw last week. 
And the difference can be so subtle, maybe even, maybe even undetectable to ourselves or to others. Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 says that, that hey, he, he knows nothing against himself. He knows nothing that he's guilty of. He says, but I'm not acquitted by that. Why? Because that's how deceptive we can be to ourselves. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And we can deceive ourselves. And Satan can deceive us. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen it says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light, pretending to be, pretending to be something that he's not. And, and what Paul is warning against is, is, for us, is don't fall into the trap that, that, that was battled in Paul's day of thinking that your doing earns you favor with God. It's interesting, they did lots of things. For as many as are the works of the law, they did a lot. But they're doing because it was fueled by trying to earn favor with God by twisting his hand or thinking they could earn their righteousness. You know what it brought? A curse. Why? Because they fell short. They couldn't do it perfectly. They couldn't obey it perfectly. That's what Paul says. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. You got a problem. You and I have a problem. Because every single one of us have sinned. And to think that God is impressed with a 90 versus an 85 is to, is to fall woefully short of God's righteousness and His character. He is perfectly righteous. He demands perfect righteousness. Never mind the fact that their doing was all fueled by the flesh. Their doing was fueled by what it would look like for them. Not the Spirit of God living in them, not even to God's glory. And Satan's deception for all of us, as you see it on your handout, is to lead us to a curse through doing things in the flesh and to the glory of our pride rather than Christ's glory. That's the, that's the deception. And it's a subtle trap. That, we, that our doing, that we think our doing justifies us before God. And again, a lot of times our lives will look very similar. The outflow will look very similar. One group, again, does it to God's glory, though. The other does it to their own glory. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Doing, doing things in the flesh and by the power and to the glory of the flesh, seeking in some form to, to justify ourselves, brings a curse. Why? Because we don't do it perfectly. We're not perfect. We don't do everything. If, if we're honest, we pick and choose. And, and, and guess what? I measure myself, whatever, whatever the rung is, I'm about one rung above it. But for you, you're about one rung below it. We love to pick and choose. I can be very hard on the, on the sins that I don't struggle with, and I can become very easy on the sins that I do struggle with. That's the temptation. Look with me, listen to Deuteronomy verse 27, just to go back, and, and, and they, they should have understood this. Deuteronomy 27 verse 26, Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Cursed, Deuteronomy 28, 58, If you are not careful to observe all the words of this, of this law which are written in this book, to fear the Lord, to fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you. Perfection. 
You, you look with me in, in Matthew 5, verse 20, same thing. He's, a, he's addressing the crowd and he says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Externally, outwardly, the scribes and the Pharisees would have been viewed very righteous from an external perspective. In Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, summarize it, he says, Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And before that, he went on to say, look, you, you, you guys are worried about, you say you don't murder. Yeah, you may not physically commit murder, but you have, you have anger in your own heart. You're guilty of murder. He says, do not commit adultery. You'd say, well, I haven't done that externally. Yeah, but you've had lust in your heart for another woman. You're, see, you're guilty. And we're really good at looking at external measurables. We're really good at looking at our external righteousness, the what, and never dealing with the why. And our sin, what, what Jesus revealed, what the Bible reveals, what the Spirit reveals, is our sin goes so much deeper than merely externals. So much deeper. It's a, it's a heart issue. Sin is a heart issue way before it's an, outwardly, an outward action issue. That's what he's getting at. It's a heart issue. And that leads right into Matthew 6 where the Pharisees did everything for the approval of man. They did it before men. They did it so men would see them. They did it so men would honor them. You know what Jesus says? He says they've received their reward in full. The very thing that they thought would be a blessing is a curse. See, if I, do my, if I do what I do for man's applause, for man's approval, for man's praise, God doesn't need to reward me because I wasn't looking for him to reward me. I was looking for man to reward me. And God is saying, I don't need to reward you. And if we think that we can get to God on our own, if we think we can get to God except by faith, if we can get to him on the flesh, if he's pleased with us based on our outward performance, we're bringing a curse onto our lives because we're not living by faith. We're living by man's approval and by man's applause and really to our own pride. And again, the reason why it is so flawed, Paul says, is because you won't do it perfectly. Verse 11, no one is justified by the law before God. It is evident for the righteous man shall live by faith. And, and you say, well, give me, give me an idea. This is, this is how, again, how subtle this can show up. And, and, and this is how we know, this is how I know as a pastor, even in my own life, I'm not immune. Here, here's how we know it's true. Anyone in here sensitive to criticism? Anyone here in here, anyone in here ever been envious? Anyone in here ever been jealous? of another person or intimidated? If you've ever battled with those, you know why? Because at our core, we, we, we tend to look to our performance for our justification. We tend to compare ourselves to other people. We tend to care about more about what others think of us than what Jesus knows about us. That's why we battle with those things. We tend to be performance-driven people. We love man's approval. Time and time and time again throughout the Bible, you know what it says? Do not fear man, fear God. Why? Because that is a very real tendency for all of us is to fear man more than we fear God. That's why Jesus himself said, do not fear man who can only destroy your body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul. 
Paul, Paul himself in Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I seeking to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. We, are all, we all gravitate. We all have a tendency to pull towards that works mentality. We feel like we have to measure up. And the reality is that we don't. And so we live with anxiety and insecurity, and that is the curse. You know you don't measure up. You know you fail, and yet that brings curse. Because you know, we know we can't be perfect. And yet we keep trying, but we can't. Faith. Trust Christ's work. Do I, do I live that out? Absolutely. If you hear me saying we, we trust Christ and then we don't live that out and that, that doesn't produce anything, you've misheard me. What I'm saying is at the core, my spiritual resume is Jesus Christ and Him alone. That has made me right with God. 2 Corinthians 5, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Literally, through faith, God has granted me Christ's righteousness, His perfection. Now I can go to heaven. We, we saw that a few weeks ago in, in Proverbs, I think it was seventeen fifteen. God says He hates those who curse the innocent and who declare the guilty innocent. God's got a problem because you and I are guilty. And yet, how does He declare us innocent? By Jesus Christ being crucified on our behalf. Jesus Christ paid the penalty he, he hung on the tree where you and I deserve to hang on the tree. Therefore, God can rightly see me as righteous, declare me to be righteous. Why? Because by faith, I'm trusting in the work of Christ alone. And when we do that, guess who gets the credit? Jesus Christ gets the credit. Jesus Christ gets the glory. I'm simply a steward. I'm simply a manager of that grace. And the danger for all of us is to live for our glory, to live by the flesh, to, to just do what feels right versus trusting God, to, to be glory thieves, glory robbers, as Matt Chandler once said. I, I want us here to be a people that lives to the glory of God, that lives by faith. Therefore, God gets the credit. But you know what? We get the blessing of having lived a, f a life of faith. We get the blessing of having look at our lives and see not me working through it, but God working through it. And God will accomplish much more to His glory than Chris Basham will ever accomplish in and of myself, by myself, according to my flesh, to His glory. See, God is very good at being God. And He literally, by the Spirit, lives in me. But it's by faith. We live by faith. In verse 11, he tells us a right relationship with God comes through faith and not by works. No one is justified by the law. And we live by that same faith. That's what we saw last week. Again, Paul is dealing justification and our sanctification all by faith. We trust that our judgment Fell upon our judgment for our sin fell upon Christ, and thus we are forgiven because of Christ's work, not our own. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And we live that out by faith, by the Spirit living in us. Look, faith looks back to what God has done for Christ in salvation, and it relies on Christ's work as our own work. 
I'm trusting that what Christ did, based on what the Word of God says, I'm trusting that Christ's work was sufficient, was totally satisfactory. That's faith. And that brings blessing. Trusting in Christ's work. Listen, that's why I said this all goes back to our identity. Who we are. Where's our glory found? Where's our identity found? You ask someone, hey, tell me about yourself. Is it, I am a believer in Jesus Christ alone first, or do we list all this stuff? Where's our identity found? Where, where do we find our meaning and our value? And the question becomes, okay, I agree, I'm not perfect. I agree that, that, that I'm not perfect, that I cannot get to God on my own, and I'm according to my own strength. How do I deal with that? What is the answer to that? How do I deal with the curse of the law that I do not find my identity in, in what I do, but who I am in Christ? And, and Paul, inter- Paul again reminds them here of the great news of the gospel through which we have been saved. And that's verses 13 and 14, the second point. The curse of the law is removed only by faith in Christ. Christ obeyed His Father perfectly. He had perfect righteousness. And through faith in His work, He credits our account with Christ's work. My my life has been credited. Christ redeemed us, verse 13, from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to Gentiles. What what he's getting at is God gives the solution to our sinfulness, our lack of perfection. The solution to to the dilemma is the substitutionary death of Christ. Christ died in our place. And now he lives in us. To produce the works, to, to, to produce His character, to, to live in obedience. All of those things flow out of Christ living in us. Listen, faith is looking to Christ for our perfection, for our identity. It is believing that Christ was perfect for us, that He fulfilled the law for us, and that by faith God has credited His work to our lives. He's our substitute. And not only, not only that, but, but I hope you see in this, how devastating even one sin is. Think about it. One sin. Adam and Eve found themselves kicked out of the garden. One sin. Eventually to die. That's how holy God is. That's how righteous God is. Just one sin. And listen, what was that one sin? Relying on human flesh. Relying on human wisdom. Saying that, you know what, I'm going to decide for myself what is right and wrong. I'm going to decide for myself what, what, is, what is good and what is bad and not trusting God. And you know what? So they ate of the tree. One sin. Relying on flesh. Trusting our own wisdom versus God's wisdom. One sin. One act of a lack of faith. But again... That's how holy God is. That's how righteous God is. If it were just one sin, it would have been enough to send Christ to the cross. Why? That's why the law had sacrifices built into it, because God knew you're not going to measure up. We'll see next week. The whole intent of the law was for us to look, was for the Jews to look for somebody else to fulfill the law for them. Galatians 3.24 is going to say the law was a tutor to lead us to Christ. The point was... Okay, I realize I can't do this. I need somebody to do it for me. 
I need somebody to be perfect for me. The law was a guardian. It was a tutor. In that day, their families would, would put their children under the care and under the watch of a tutor, of a guardian, of a, was what was called a pedagogos. And they would raise that child to maturity. And when that child was mature, that child would go off on his own and no longer be under the care of the tutor. And Paul is saying that's what the law was. The law was a tutor to lead us to Christ. It was a tutor to point us to Christ. It was to, to point us to, to look to somebody to fulfill the law for us. To be perfect for us. That's what he's saying in verses 13 and 14, that he redeemed us from the curse of the law. Why? Because he was perfect for us. We have been set free from the law of sin. We've been set free from that. Why? Because our freedom is found in Christ's work. He became the curse. He deserved, he died, he hung on the tree where you and I deserve to hang. And ultimately, ultimately faith is a cry for help. Faith is a, a clinging to the work of somebody else. It is trusting God alone. It is allowing and asking God to work in me and through me. Why? So that He gets the credit. God gets the credit. That's why salvation is so much more than just a moral improvement. It's so much more than just rule keeping. It's so much more than simply checking off boxes or going through the motions or, or just being nice or having a, a successful life. Salvation is about justification and sanctification and forgiveness and righteousness and glorification. It's about dying to self and living to Christ. It's about John 3.30. I, I must increase, he must decrease. I mean, I must decrease, he must increase. It's about, it's about a life lived by Christ living in us. Therefore, He gets all the credit. What you see in me is Christ in me. It's that battle of spirit and flesh. The, the fruit is Christ in me, the fruit of the Spirit. It's about having our, our condemnation due to our sin falling upon Jesus and not on ourselves. And instead of condemnation, now what we get from God is adoption. And we get an inheritance. And we get a hope and a future. Why? Because Jesus Christ was condemned for us. For those of us who believe. Who have faith in Christ. It's about a relationship. That's why John 17, 3 is our, is our theme verse for the church. That all may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He sent. If you ask me what I want for that building over there, it's going to be that. It's going to be the same thing I want for this building, that all may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He sent. Literally, that Jesus Christ be formed in us. Why we do everything over there with the kids, why we do everything here, is to, to literally see Jesus Christ formed in us, that we would grow to maturity. That Ephesians 4, that we would no longer be like children tossed about by every wind and wave and trickery of doctrine, but, but that our children, led by parents, are firmly planted in the truth of the gospel, are satisfied totally in God and who He's declared them to be, and live that out. What, what Paul is saying is that the curse of the law, listen, has been removed only by the cross of Christ, thus faith alone is the pathway to blessing. It's not, it's not flesh, it's faith. Faith alone is the pathway. God's blessings flow to our lives through our faith 
in Christ, not our self-effort, not through the flesh. Paul is saying, die to that. Die thinking you merit God's favor because of your own spiritual resume. I get God's favor because of Jesus Christ's resume. My identity is not found in what I do. It is found in who I am in Christ Jesus. And everything else flows out of who I am in Christ Jesus. Literally, when God sees me, He sees me through His Son. I am now a part of His family by faith. I am Abraham's child by faith. And faith is realizing it is not what I do, but the way in which I do it that matters. Even as a child, it's not necessarily what I do, it's why I do it. Is it out of trust of God, or is it in my own strength? Is it to the praise and glory of God, or is it to the praise and glory of me? I mean, I could sit up here and preach these sermons the whole time thinking, man, I hope they see how smart I am. I hope they see how much I studied. I hope they see how much Bible verses I memorized. That's garbage. Garbage. Because no matter how many verses I've memorized, you know what? I don't have the whole thing memorized. And no matter how many good you think or, or bad I think I am, trust me, I could be worse and I could be better. And so if this is what makes me right before God, I'm going to be a, 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 a manic, depressive, schizophrenic. But I'm trusting in Christ's work alone. And I've simply come before you week after week. I'm not trying to be clever. I'm trying to give you God's word. Why? Because that's what changes us. That's what Colossians 3.16, that the word of God may richly dwell within you. That's how we're filled with the spirit. That's how we're controlled by the spirit. That's how the fruit of the flesh is formed in us, by the word richly dwelling in us. And what Paul is saying is that cursing and blessing hangs upon how we obey and on who gets the credit for why we obey. And it's about our identity. So I want, I want to ask yourselves real quickly, what, ask yourselves a few questions. What, what is your life built upon? What, what are you clinging to most for your identity? What, what gives your life meaning? What gives your life fulfillment? What, if lost, would cause you to feel like you have nothing else to live for? That's probably where your identity is found. Th those answers tell us where our identity is. Is it your marriage? Is it in your role as a spouse? Maybe as a mom or a dad? There can be a great temptation for me to become very, one of the occupational hazards of a pastor is you can become very, if you're not careful, very prideful. Thinking that, hey, you know what, I, I'm, I, I got this thing and all these people show up. No, you, don't, you better not be showing up to hear me. You better be showing up to hear the word of God opened up. And, and, and every single one of us, can, can find, our, can find our, our identity in our accolades and our achievements. I was thinking about this and just to, as an act of humility, I, I thought about this, the topic of identity. And, I, and I, anybody in here ever Googled their name? Anybody ever Googled their name? I heard that when I started dating Karen, Barbara Googled my name. <laughs> just saying, I heard. I heard that. 
The good news is nothing comes up. Bad news is nothing comes up. I mean, I search hard. I mean, I searched Chris Basham, Godby High School, and really what I wanted to look for just as an act, just to see. You know, and, and hesitant to even share it because it can come off prideful, but, but I was very fortunate and blessed in high school. I, I was good at golf. And, and I won my share of tournaments. I, and it just in, in thinking of this, I thought, you know what? I wonder if my identity was in golf. I wonder if it's there. Zero. Like zero of those achievements. I even went to the Tallahassee Democrat website, searched all through there. Zero tournaments that Chris Basham won were listed. You know the only thing that comes up under Chris Basham? Is that I'm a pastor at Idaho Baptist Church. That's all that came up. And the picture they have listed doesn't even look like me because he has a full head of hair. I'm like, I can't even get that. But listen to me, do you, what I'm trying to say is this. Do you know how demoralizing it would be if my identity was found in golf? If, if Lee, who was a very accomplished uh, collegiate and beyond basketball player, if his identity today was found in basketball, none of y'all even know that about him. See, my identity is found in Jesus Christ. My identity is found in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. All that other stuff. Listen, when I was in high school, unfortunately, you better believe my identity was greatly persuaded and enhanced because I loved hearing my name called out on the intercom in the mornings, Chris Basham, medalist at a golf tournament yesterday. I loved it. But that was my flesh. The reality is this. I, I, I want to live a life where if anybody has anything good to say about Chris Basham, it's what God is doing in Chris Basham and through Chris Basham. I, I want to live a life that God gets the credit. Whatever we do here at Odessa, however long the Lord allows me to serve as your pastor, I want, I want at the end of the day to say God got the credit. Look what God did through that congregation. Not like what that congregation did. What did God do through? Even as we go over here to to dedicate this building and open it up, I hope that we see it as what God did through us. I I don't want us to be glory thieves. I don't want us to be glory robbers. There are many people in here who gave very sacrificially of their money, of their time, of their talent, some all. And I don't, I don't want you to be offended if you did that because I'm not going to name you. Because I want God to get the credit. I don't want to confuse the issue. And I don't do anything that fuels your, 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 your pride in yourself. I want our pride to be in what Christ has done and what He's doing through us. I want when people to say, hey, how'd you do that? Why, we did it by looking at the cross and responding to the cross, and Christ did it in us. That, that's Christ's work. We simply responded with faith. And I don't want to pastor a church that deceives ourselves into thinking that, that our work is a way to congratulate ourselves and bring glory to ourselves. No, I want us to bring glory to God. I want the gospel to overtake our thinking at all times, that that we're simply fellow beggars, that when we look around this room, we're simply fellow beggars. We're not superior to one another. We're not better than one another. We're simply fellow beggars who have found living water, 
who have found the bread of life, and it's Jesus Christ. We don't measure ourselves against each other. We don't measure how many hours we put in the building. We don't measure how much we gave. We're in this together. We're fellow laborers to the King of Kings, and it is a privilege to, to labor on His behalf. I pray that we will be a church, and you see it on your handout, that clings to the cross alone for our identity. Because it's the cross alone where the full penalty of our sin was paid. Where we were forgiven, redeemed, adopted. I pray that, that the way that God sees us and loves us would be the way that we love and see each other every day. And then when Satan reminds us of our sin, when, when we're jealous or envious, when, that we would remind him, look, our justification, our forgiveness is not in found in what we do. My forgiveness is not found in what I do. My forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ alone, His death, His burial, and resurrection. And that will always be true. It will always be sufficient. It will not fade. It will not perish. It will not diminish. It will always be a satisfactory payment. Keep our eyes on the gospel because the gospel reminds us that we are justified, forgiven, and loved more than we will ever imagine. That's why Paul in Ephesians 3, his prayer was that they would understand the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of God's love. And I pray that God uses that building over there for the same way. And I pray that God uses this building to be a place where we meet that you and I understand the height and the depth and the breadth of God's love. And you see, on your, you see as I close in your horizon, 1 John 3, 1. Memory verse for this week. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as what we will be. We know that when He appears we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. I pray the gospel would be our motivation for purity because we've been declared pure and I pray that we would live that out. And I pray that we'd learn how to do that here and I pray that they would learn how to do that there. Understand how greatly you have been loved. If you're here today and, and you're not a believer, I pray that by the grace of God, by the miracle of the Spirit, that your eyes would be opened to the gospel. That the scales would fall off your eyes and you'd see the gloriousness of the gospel, that how much God loves you. And if you're here today and you are a believer, I pray that if you've been living on autopilot, if your identity has been found anywhere other than the gospel, that, it, that you would repent of that and your identity would be found in who God has declared you to be through Christ, not your own doing. That the first and foremost thing anyone would know about us is that we are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Not what we do or what we bring to the table, what Jesus Christ brought to the table. And, and if you have any questions about that, if we need to talk about that, I'll be down front after I pray. I'd be happy to discuss that. I'd be happy to walk you through that.